Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all. Uh, welcome. If you're a guest with us, we're happy to have you. We are in a series in Hebrews and actually winding down. Uh, about to finish chapter 13. And we have been talking about sort of the spiritual life as a journey. Um, A journey of faith uh, to an eternal city that God has promised us. Let's see if I can. uh, You got it. So, and the goal, of course, is to survive the journey, to persevere. Let's see, here we go. So we sort of live in this city we're in today, but we're headed toward uh, a big city, and so we're on this journey to persevere. And we've been talking about it in terms of uh, this, not just our faith lasting, but we're also a part of a community that we need to stay in on the way to this eternal city. And uh, we've said a lot about community. And I wonder if you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know, I would, uh, you know, I'd like to have faith that lasts like that. And I really do wish I had the, the community that Hebrews has been describing for us. But I'm not really sure what that means and, and what it looks like and how to make it. I mean, how, how, do, I, how do I make it? Uh, because maybe what you're doing just isn't working. You know, you've got some semblance of a spiritual faith, some beliefs back here, but none of them are really making a difference in your world and in your life. Uh, and it can be frustrating spiritually. You, maybe you sing the kinds of songs that we sang today and you go, that sounds great in a song, but it just doesn't transfer into my life. Um, you know, G.K. Chesterton was the one who said, the Christian life has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. And so Hebrews, is, and at least as, especially as he wraps up this whole book and everything we've been saying, is going to give us some specifics. Remember, we're in this community, and this text here is the one we've you know, been looking at for weeks. And, and the red sort of symbolizes this community we're in and the leaders that are in it. And so we have authority over us in the church. In the church, you need people who are in authority over us. We all need authority over us in order to make it. And then so inside here, we're sort of inside this community, and inside here it tells us how to live in this uh, community. And if you took this and broke it down a little bit to where it looks like this, and you took that middle section, it breaks out into two parts that we have to look at. This is the part we want to look at today. Now, um, I will say, 
that this is the, this is the theology and this is the application. And so in this first part, I will tell you that sort of he, he brings together this very technical work in some sense. And, and it's a little bit theologically complex. It has metaphors in it and images in it and movements in it that you had to have really read the whole book in order to understand. So I've got to sort of simplify that so we can get a picture in our head and then draw some conclusions from it for next week where he applies what he teaches us today. So that's our challenge. And if you were to break this section down that we're going to look at, it would look like this. It has two commands, two big commands, and three facts or three realities that we've got to come to grasp or come to, you know, understand in order to be able to apply everything he's been saying in the book. So there's two commands. First one is do not be carried away. All right, so I just want you to keep our image in mind. In other words, you're on this journey. What he doesn't want you to do is be carried off of it. Doesn't want you to be carried away from it. Um, and then the second command is let us go out. So rather than get off track, he wants us uh, to stay on. Let us go, go out. And we got to find out where he's talking about what that means. And in between are these little statements that support each deal. Don't be carried away. We have an altar. Jesus has suffered outside the camp. We have no lasting city here. We seek a city. For, for all of a sudden, this verse that we've been quoting almost every week for months, we're going to see the actual context of it and why he says it where he does in, in our teaching. So that's, that's what we're doing and in this text. So that's where we're at. Now, in order to understand this, I've got to give you a picture so that you can understand the unique situation of the Hebrews. And then how do we apply it to ourselves? The Hebrews were actually thinking about bailing. They were thinking about bailing on the faith. Remember, you come to Christ and that's just, you know, you come to the cross and you get saved. You get your sins forgiven. You, you, you encounter Christ and what he did for you. And you start on this journey, and then somewhere along the line you bail. And the Hebrews were going to bail. And because they were Jewish, uh, they weren't going to give up everything associated with Christ. They were going to go back, really, to some Old Testament sacrifice type stuff. This is where the, the language gets technical. If you're not as familiar with the Old Testament and exactly all of the details and how they had sacrifices and got their sins forgiven back then, they're going to go back to some of these Old Testament rituals which actually were just pictures of Christ coming and what he was going to do for us ultimately. In other words, they were going to leave the real thing to go back to the uh, sort of the rituals that foreshadowed what Christ would do. And so this is sort of the context for what he's about to say when he says, don't be carried away. All right, so I'm gonna, I got a picture here for you, and let me show you what uh, sort of he's going to say to them. 
Um, because in our text, he's going to say we have an altar, Christ has died for us, and a holy place. So let me give you a picture, then we'll go through the verses. So here's the picture. So in the Old Testament, the Jews, when they were walking through the wilderness, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they, they had this camp that they lived in. And that represents this, this circle. And inside that circle, there was a courtyard, this big square here. And then they had two smaller squares in it. One was a front court and one was the holy place, the real holy of holies. Inside that camp, you were holy. If you stepped outside that camp, you were unholy. You were considered unholy and had to go through an, an incredible amount of ceremonial washings in order to get back into that camp. So everybody pretty much stayed in here in order to be holy. All right, you stepped outside and you were unholy. And so what would happen is the, the, they, would, they would make sacrifices in here and then, and then as the way to participate in the sacrifices, they would eat them, cook them and eat them. So that's the way they participated in the holy place. And when, uh, when the animal was sacrificed, it made the camp holy and it made the people holy. So there was a place that was holy that you could be in. There was a holy place that you could live in. And then there was, uh, and I could be holy too if I lived inside there. But I couldn't step outside those boundaries. And the reason for that is because this was considered the presence of God. And you couldn't be in the presence of God with sin. So if you're going to be in the presence of God, the area has to be holy and the people have to be holy. Everything in it has to be holy. Everything was sanctified in that space. Now, so they would eat of the offerings to participate in it because like the rest of us, we want our sins forgiven and that was the process. But all of those things foreshadowed what Christ would ultimately come and do. Even before Jesus died, this was never going to be the ultimate way to do it. It was just a picture of Jesus ultimately coming and dying on a cross for your sins and doing what the sacrifices would do here. Make you holy. And so it pictured that. Well, rather than, they were scared. They were suffering because of the cross. The public, the city they lived in was persecuting them because of the cross. Their identification, their identification with Christ was costing them their stuff. People were taking their possessions. They were persecuting them. It was, a, it was very, very difficult living because of the cross. So rather than live outside where Christ is and where the cross is and rely on him, they went back to this. That's what been, the whole book's been about. They're going back to these Old Testament rituals. Now, here's the thing about the rituals. They never made you really ultimately holy. Um, Hebrews 9.9 says, the courts and the sacrifices, this is a great line to help you understand, could never perfect the conscience of the worshiper. It was never enough. It was just a picture of what was to come. It wasn't the thing. It was just a picture of the thing. So they're now leaving the real thing. And going back to the picture. 
Now, this is, so they're going back, listen, they're going back trying to live and function in this old system and rituals without Christ, secluded away, because that's what this would have been, their own little, their own little world again, their own little, this is the best way for us to start to begin to apply this. They lived sort of in their own holy world away from the cross. That's what they were trying to do, okay? Uh, Without Christ and safe because it was costing them. Now listen, this was for them a very elaborate attempt to have Jesus, but not be so associated with him that it cost them anything to live for him. Does that make sense? That's what they essentially were doing. This is going to be the jump off point for how we understand it for ourselves. Um, So here's, you know, you say, we asked the question at the beginning of this. How do you survive to the end? How do you live in a community like the one you've been describing where you're selfless? Well, you can't abandon the cross and come up with some other holy ritual and leave all of the stigma and the identity of Christ and the cross. You can't do that. Now, there's one more. There's a couple of jumps here that we're going to have to uh, figure, figure out. Because this is what the Old Testament Jews were doing in the wilderness. This is what they did. The Jews in the New Testament, or the Jews in, uh, that he's talking about in Hebrews. Okay. This circle. Let's see if I can draw it. Uh, that circle for them in the wilderness is what they used. What you have in the Hebrews is they were living in that big, they were living in a city. And rather than live out in front in that city where everybody knew they were, they were with Christ, they just found some secluded place in the city to, to sort of live out their Christian life without ever being seen or known because the cost was too high. So what the camp was to the Old Testament people. The city was to us. So I'm, I'm showing you the moves before I take you to the text. I'm showing you the big moves in the, one of the big moves in the passage we're gonna look at is you go from a camp to a city. So in other words, you're not hiding in the wilderness. For you and me, we're hiding in a city. We got a city out there we go live in every day. And they were hiding from that city, uh, inside the city. You, you, you and I aren't living in the camp and the Hebrews weren't living in a camp. It was just a way for them to find some spiritual realities before they, rather than live out their faith out, out in the front. Now I'm gonna explain all that to you and you're gonna see it. Uh, there's another move in this text and we'll see it here as we go. So he says, do not be carried away by all sorts of strange teachings. Now we're going to explain that picture. It's going to come out in this, in this text. All right, do not be carried away by all sorts of strange teachings. So this is a great little word because this is that word we saw earlier in chapter 13 where he says, love strangers. So here's what he's basically going to say. When it comes to your faith and your community, you can love strangers and receive strangers, but strange teachings got to go. Strangers are welcome. Strange teachings are not. Don't abandon what you know about Jesus. 
Strangers are welcome, strange teachings are not. And here's essentially the line of this text. It's the line that you're asking. How do you do it? For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by ritual meals. Now, this word meals really foods. Here's another move in the text you got to keep in mind. Now, I'm gonna, all this will come together. You're just, you're just hanging in there by the skin of your, I know you are. I know you are. It took me all week long to figure out how to tell you this. And I'm just honoring the text and making sure we understand it. But I promise by the time we're done, you'll understand it. So just hang in there, okay? Here's another move in the text. Foods, remember what I told you. Foods, if I were going to sum up everything that was going on in the Old Testament, just for you and I today to understand what in the heck was all going on, because we don't know all the details, the best way for me to do it is to say, well, they had a lot of foods they ate. Because the foods were the way they participated in all of the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the rituals. In other words, how did they make it personal and theirs? It was all related back to the foods. What they did eat and what they didn't eat is, you know, you'd have all these sacrifices, all these demands, don't step here, don't go here. How do, I, how do I live in that reality? It was by taking in the foods, it was to eat it. That's how I participated in it. And so when he says to them, So this summarizes all of it. He's not necessarily speaking about a specific diet. What he's saying is, the participation of those people in the Old Testament, that's how they did it, by eating foods. You and I don't get our strength by eating foods of those rituals. In other words, we don't do rituals to be strengthened spiritually. Look, our hearts are strengthened by grace. Um, that's the key. We gotta figure out how to be strengthened by grace. Otherwise, you're never gonna make it to the end. You're never gonna be what you need to be in community. So our hearts have to be strengthened by grace. And then he adds this. They never benefited. These foods never really changed them. In other words, they'd eat the foods of all the rituals, but it wouldn't change them on the inside. It was never enough to fully clear their conscience. They had to wait for the next sacrifice to make sure they could survive another day, another week, another year. And then they would eat to be a part of it and then they'd have to do it again. And Hebrews is all about, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice. We're strengthened by something else, okay? So it never really benefited them is the idea. Anyway, never benefited them anyway. In other words, here's what they're doing that you and I can sometimes do. We can sort of step into some religious things that we think will transform our lives, but they never do. We can step away from the cross and grace and try to be strengthened for the spiritual life by something else. That's why we get frustrated. Okay? Just a little window into what he's trying to say. And so here's what he is trying to say. We have an altar. We don't have to go makeshift another one. We don't have to go back to the Old Testament and do it, you know, and create a camp and seclude ourselves and come up with these little rituals. Uh, We have an altar that those in the tabernacle have no right to eat from. On the Day of Atonement, the one sacrifice they couldn't eat from was the the ultimate uh, atoning sacrifice. That sacrifice had to be taken outside the camp 
and burned. So they didn't eat from that. Okay? And what he is, the reason he's bringing up eating again is because he's trying to describe, let me put this up here for you. What is the nourishment for the spiritual life? What is the nourishment for the spiritual life? How is the heart strengthened? It's not by foods and rituals. It's by grace. And so he brings up this sacrifice, and they would all remember, yeah, that was one we didn't eat from. All right? And so here's what he's about to say. Unless you're nourished by what Christ did, you can't survive. You'll never survive. This is really important spiritually. I know you don't know how to apply it yet. I'm going to help you with that. Uh, In other words, what Jesus has done is created something, a reality, a dynamic that has powerful new implications. And when you partake in jest, in a different way, obviously, of Christ's death by faith, something radical and internal changes inside of you. That's what he's getting at. And on the Day of Atonement, they would offer this bull or this goat, and they didn't eat it. They just put the carcass outside that holy camp and they sort of burned it in unholy territory. So they would go outside the camp after they would make this sacrifice. They'd go outside to this unholy place and they'd burn that thing, okay? That's fire. I don't know if you can tell. That's fire. All right, so uh, that's what they would do. And now... This is sort of interesting. Now he's going to take this whole image of, wait a minute, he just went outside the camp. How's, how's that going to work? What's the writer of Hebrews going to do with that thought? It's very important. Because it's going to show you. And this would have blown the Hebrews' minds. In other words... Don't worry about holy places anymore. Don't worry about holy places anymore. And don't worry about rituals to make you holy anymore. I'm about to show you how this outside thing changes with Jesus. Okay? So he's going to say this. For the bodies of those animals and the blood and the high priest brings into the sanctuaries an offering for sin were burned outside the camp. Therefore, to sanctify, now the word sanctify is just a big spiritual word. All it means is to make holy, just to set apart as special, set apart as holy. Important spiritual word means how do you become holy? Because that's the question we're asking. How do you become holy if you don't have the rituals anymore? To sanctify us by his own blood, Jesus, Jesus suffered outside the camp. Now the writer of Hebrews is going to say, hey, let me take this little story. See, because you guys have found some, you're going back to all these Old Testament rituals so you can sort of find your own little holy life out here that's safe from suffering, secluded from city life. And I'm about to tell you guys something really important. Hey, uh, Jesus died outside the camp. How you like that? You're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now that would, if you were one of the Hebrews who lived this reality, you'd be like, uh-oh, 
What does that mean for me then? What does it mean that Jesus suffered outside the camp? This is a powerful image. Uh, So for us living in today's world, it would mean, um, what does it mean Jesus died outside the city? And what would have been the city Jesus died outside of? What would it have been? It would have been Jerusalem. I know you knew that. Okay. Where do we live? Well, there's three cities we represent, basically. I don't even know. We got three addresses. Uh, Let's just call it Fort Worth. Okay. Everybody knows Fort Worth. If I say Haslett or if I say Keller, you you may not. But Fort Worth, everybody knows. Okay. So um, in Jesus's day, wasn't in the wilderness in the Old Testament where Jesus died. He died, in the New T- he died in the New Testament. It would have been outside the city of Jerusalem he died. Outside of the city he died. So you're going to see this image move from camp to city. Hang with me. I'm going to explain that. So Jesus died outside the camp. He was speaking to the... Uh, in the, in the New Testament, the holy city was Jerusalem. If you were from or in Jerusalem, it was the holy place. And Jesus is trying to say, there is no more holy place. The writer of Hebrews is trying to say, there's no more holy place. There's no more holy place like there was in the wilderness, and there is no holy place like Jerusalem. Jerusalem got ransacked again in AD 70, and, it's, and it was the, the spiritual significance of it, the holiness of it wiped away. Well, what does that mean for us who are trying to today live, you know, make it to the end? Now, the crucifixion, here's what Jesus was, we're talking about expulsion from the city precincts, from holy precincts. That means the crucifixion being outside the city was where sinners and criminals were. When, when, When you couldn't make it in the city, Rome put you outside the city and crucified you publicly in front of people. It means you were a criminal. The crucifixion was not just painful. It was utterly humiliating. You were never more on the outs than when you were crucified in in Rome or, you know, in the city. You come out of that city, Rome crucified you outside. And everyone who was outside the city gates, because Jerusalem was the holy place, outside here is where all the sinners and all the criminals are. People who can't make it in the city. Now why spend so much time? In other words, Jesus died as a rejected and an outcast. He didn't just suffer. He died as an outcast. Now, why is he spending so much time on this topic? Um, Because he's trying to show the impact of the cross, of what Jesus did. What Jesus did for us is the writer of Hebrews' message is, he didn't just die so that your sins would be forgiven. The death that he died had a punch and a power and a pull and a new life that came with it that if you miss that, you'll never make it to the end. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Um, So Jesus dies outside in unholy territory. Think about that. Jesus dies in 
an unholy territory to sanctify and make us who are unholy, holy. To sanctify us. To give access to everyone. He died where all the sinners are. That's good news. Because that's a picture of us outside of the presence of God. We couldn't come into the presence of God, so what did Jesus do? He came to us outside the city where all of us are, sinners outside the camp, to give us access to God. And he ultimately accomplishes and provides what our hearts need to be qualified to live into the presence of God. So now we've become acceptable to God. So you say, okay, is that what you're saying? That's what he means by, now listen, this for us, as you're going to see, is outside. This is literally, he uses the word camp here. It's literally city gate. That's where I wanted to show you the move. So he describes out, uh, initially that the sanctuary outside the camp in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it would have been outside the city. Jesus didn't die outside a camp. He died outside the city gate. Now, so what does that mean for us? We must go out to him. Outside the city gate, bearing the abuse he experienced. Here it is. Here's the point, right here. We must go out to him. Remember what they were doing? They were leaving. You look at our image again. Look at our image. Don't be carried away. You need to go out. Don't run from the cross. Go out to it. Go out to where he was. Now, you go out to that You go out then outside the city where Christ was. Look, here's the key. You've got to join in on that death. You've got to join in on it. Now, this is where it all is going to come together for you in your mind and and sort of connect with everything we've been saying up to now. They were looking for a way to have the cross a little but sort of step away and just sort of survive spiritually and religiously some other, you know, in some other way. And for the Hebrews, it was one thing. For you and I, it's another thing. But he's going to say, go out to him. And then he's going to say our verse. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Look at the verse that came right before this verse so that we can understand what he's saying here. He's saying, how do you seek the city that is to come? You go outside the city to where Jesus was crucified. Does everybody follow that? Because that's the point. How do you seek the city if you're not there yet and you live in another city, you live in a real physical city? The cross dictates life. For people who have it. So what would that look like for us? What's the issue really for us? Uh, And by the way, what it means to go outside the city. When he says, let's go. 
Let's go out to him. Remember when God called Abraham and he said, go. It's the same word used in Hebrews eleven eight to describe Abraham leaving the place that he lived and going to a city he had never seen before. In other words, going outside the city in the mind of the writer of Hebrews is what it means to seek a city that is to come. So the cross becomes the key to the life. See, I want to know how to live the spiritual life. I want to know how to make it to the end. Well, remember this verse. Remember when we were looking at this sort of verse? Um, this, this, we want, we, we're, we're looking for something lasting. Whatever's inside this initial city, it, it wasn't going to last anyway. So the reason we are willing to come out to the cross is because the cross is the path to something that's everlasting. I mean, all of a sudden you start to say to yourself, yeah, who wouldn't want to leave the city if you're going to give me something eternal? If I'm going to lose everything here in the city anyway, why wouldn't I go out there to where Jesus is? Even though it is going to cost me something because the cross is a place of death. Which sort of gives you a little window into the reason why sometimes spiritually we don't really transform. It's because we're just afraid of dying in every way. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally. We don't want to die. It's the reason we don't go out. And so what happens is, this is basically what discipleship is. You lose your life to what? To save it, to find it. You lose your life to find it. Say, how do I make it to the end? How do I live in a community where I'm not so selfish? You lose your life to find it. Remember this verse? Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's verse 8, right before this. Remember we talked about a cross of yesterday, and some of us live our lives spiritually in a yesterday reality. We love thinking about what the cross did for us one day at a bad time in our life, and we gave our lives to Christ. We saw what he did for us on a cross. We knew we needed forgiveness, and we took it. And then somehow we walked away from it and our whole spiritual life is just reflecting back on a cross that happened yesterday. We've all done it. There's not a one of us in here. And we look back on the cross. So if the cross, and now I leave this journey, now I lead this journey to a city. This is my forever city. That's what this is right here. It's a city. I'm on my way to that city, and the cross is behind me. And what he is saying, no, 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 no. The cross can't be behind you. You got to be pursuing it all the way. You don't leave the cross behind. That'll get you off track, carried away, and, and, and it won't, and Jesus won't be at the forefront. The heart is nourished, strengthened on grace. You gotta eat it every day. Eat it every day. That's how your heart gets nourished spiritually if you're gonna follow Christ. You don't have to follow Christ. But if you're gonna follow Christ, you can't do it without a cross. And you got to feed on that grace every day. You can't look at, well, one day he gave me grace. 
No, 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 no. The heart is strengthened by grace. So you got to go out to the cross. The cross has to stay in front of me. It can't stay behind me. I've got to go out to it. That's how I'm not only saved yesterday, but I'm transformed today. How do I really change? What does it take? It's the cross right here. Now, let's think about that for a second because we're going to spend all next week applying this. But let's just think about this for a minute and then we'll be done. The cross can never lose its beauty and wonder in your life. It can never lose that. Um, so in the, uh, there's a little article called The Usefulness of the Cross in the Westminster Theological Journey by Richard Gaffin. And he writes this, and see if this doesn't strike you and hit home for you as we try to tease out what this means. Here's what he writes. The churches of the Reformation, that would be us Protestants, have shown a much better grasp of the for us of Christ, the for us of Christ's cross and the gospel than they have of the with him of that gospel, particularly suffering with him. So what in the world does that mean? We love to think of what Jesus did for us. And we reflect back on a cross yesterday for what Jesus did for us. But we completely, very often, forget that we're supposed to think of the cross and our lives as suffering with him. And if you only think of what Jesus did for you, but... Do not identify with it and go out to it and realize that what, hap- what he did there has to happen to me too. I've got to pick up a cross. If you don't take up a cross, what did Jesus say? You can't be my disciple. You can't look at the cross as something that just Jesus did for you. It's got to be something you go out and do with him. Go out to it. You're like, who wants to go out there? That's the unholy place, isn't it? That's death. So you say, what does it look like to live like that? To have a with him kind of mentality instead of just for us. And by the way, you need both. Uh, Let's do this real quick. Let me show you. Hebrews 11 gives you an illustration of how this works. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which would have given him all kinds of respect and clout. Choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God, he chose to be ill-treated. Remember, they were choosing not to be ill-treated in Hebrews. Are you choosing that? To enjoy, they wanted to enjoy sin's pleasure more. He Here's what it means to pursue the cross once you become a believer. I choose ill treatment over pleasure. What areas of your life are you not doing that? That's the problem. It's very simple. There's no secret to the spiritual life. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. 
Would you consider that? Would I consider that? Would I consider leaving the city that offers me respectability, security, comfort, everything I could want in life? Would I consider it greater wealth to suffer than to have those things? Because that's who leaves the city. Nobody's leaving the city. He was, his, his eyes were fixed on the reward. He left Egypt without fearing the king's anger. Like, who are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? He persevered, even though he couldn't see the one who is invisible. We all seek a city we can't see yet. How do you seek a city you can't see? Cross, cross, cross. You're just stepping toward it every day. Stepping toward it every day. Dying a little every day. That's what it looks like. You give up identity, you give up your values, you give up your vision for life, you give up respect, you give up any repercussions, you persevere to the end, that's how you do it. And by the way, if you're thinking about the logic of doing this, you're like, who's choosing a cross over a city? That's a great question. But remember what happened? You're losing the city, you're... you're You're going to lose it anyway. You're going to lose it anyway. You can't keep anything there. It will not help you in the next life. None of it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It doesn't promise anything. It's like you're going to hold on to something you can't keep. I was watching. uh, I got. Three minutes here. All right, let's see what happens. This is a race for the finish. All right, uh, so now I just want to illustrate for you and, and help you understand this real quick. So I watched the Taylor Swift special. Had to do it. I'm a Taylor Swift fan. Okay, I like that girl. I think she's talented. So, um, so Gail and I watched Miss Americana. That's the name of it. Sort of interesting stuff. And don't, you know, agree with her whole life. You know, don't, don't he like and then listen, don't get carried away. I don't love everything about her life. I just think she's cool. So um, here's one of the things she says in that movie, and I wrote it down as soon as I heard it. Because here's this, you know, this, in essence, just a little girl trying to survive in this big old Hollywood fame world. And I can't imagine how difficult that would be. And she says, she said this, she goes, I spent so much of my life worrying and trying to please all these audiences and people in the world, which I would imagine is a huge temptation. And she says this quote, when you build your life on the approval of the crowd, one slight misstep brings the whole thing crumbling down. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying in the discipleship invitation. It's an invitation, by the way. It's an invitation to leave, to, to leave the city that's going down. Come out to me. Because that thing's going to crumble. No matter how much you have or what you've got, it's all going to crumble. So we're talking, about, we're talking about this whole moving away from myself in order to find the life that Jesus has for me. Um, how about uh, Jim Elliott? My father called me this past week and said, hey, Do you remember when we went to Ecuador? 
Kirk Nowry invited me to go to Ecuador to speak to Samaritan's Purse, a group of people who were going to be handing out these shoe boxes of toys, giving the gospel to people in Ecuador. And I got to speak for like four times to these, this large group of people at Samaritan's Purse, uh, hundreds of people who were there to give these things. And so I, I didn't think much of, I didn't know what I would expect it. But when I got there, one of these, one day, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, how familiar you are with Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott is the one who, um, he and four other guys, remember, uh, back in, uh, in the mid-50s, gave their life. They went to the Aka Indians, to a special tribe called the Huarwani tribe. And they were going to win them to Christ. And nobody had ever gotten the gospel to them. They were sort of violent people. And it wasn't very long before, you know, they were there, the five of them, and they were all killed. And he was only 29 years old, January 8th, 1956. 29 years old, and he's one of my heroes. He's literally one of my heroes of the faith. I keep his diary next to my bed. I see it every night before I go to bed. It's a reminder of a man who, who understood exactly what it meant to seek the cross above everything else. And so I keep it there. So we went there to this thing. And remember, he's the one who said this. This is him, by the way. That's him. And he's the one who wrote this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's just nothing like it in the world. This thing, this quote has survived time. And he gave up anything. You see what I'm saying? This is the call of discipleship right here. It may be scary to follow the cross, but it's logical. And a special thing happened to me when I was there. I actually got a chance to meet the man. Because remember their wives, after they were killed, their five wives went back to that same tribe. And the tribe was so overwhelmed by the love for them that they gave their lives to Christ. And that whole tribe was transformed. And I got a chance to shake hands and meet the man who speared my hero, Jim Elliott. This is him. He exudes the love of Christ. He's the one who speared Jim. And uh, I got to hear an interview that he gave. And he said, uh, um, he said, you got to follow the markings on the trail. Which for him, when the fathers would go out to war and do their killing, the sons wouldn't know how to find the fathers. And so they would leave marks on the trail for the sons to follow the dads. And he said, when you follow Christ, you got to follow the same trail he walks. He left a trail for you. He left a cross. He says, pick it up and follow me. You die with me and you'll live. You die to live. Jesus says, it's okay to die. I will give you life in it. Dallas Willard writes this, and it's really important. The only real bargain in life is surrendering ourselves to Jesus and his cause, abandoning all that we love to him and for him. And we cannot, listen, this is a really important thing I wanted to say. You cannot learn any other spiritual lessons until you learn this one. If death isn't at the forefront of your life every day, then you're messing around with a bunch of spiritual rituals that are not going to change you. And Willard is right. Until death is the thing you're seeking in order to live, you never will live the life Jesus has offered for you. 
I told you at the beginning of this series, St. John of the Cross said, be suspicious. Be suspicious if the cross of Christ doesn't begin to find you. You start to follow Christ and the cross gets further away, something's wrong. And I would add to that, don't be just suspicious if the cross doesn't find you. Be suspicious if you don't go out to it, like the writer of Hebrews is saying. If you're not drawn to the wonder and the beauty and the love of the cross, you won't be able to survive this. All right, I'm just going to close like this because of time, and then we'll deal with it later. I just want to just say this to you. I'm really hurrying fast. Um, you have to turn your back on religion and come into this new, this new perspective that Christ offers. So next week, we're going to tease that out. But in the meantime, if the cross is just in your past and it's not in your present, then you're not living the spiritual life that he wants you to live. The for us with him. Like if you only love the fact that Jesus died for you, but, not, but you're not dying with him, then, then, we, then we've missed it. And then there are some of you who don't have the cross in your life at all. You don't have it in your past. And you need Christ today. He died outside the camp for every single one of us. Every one of us are invited to that cross. No one's left out. No one's too holy for it. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We just marvel at it. And right now, forgive us. Forgive us for keeping the cross in the past and not in the present. Forgive us for not running out to it. Um, Teach us, Lord, what that means here in the next couple weeks. In Jesus' name. Amen.